We're going to be in Psalm 121. Who needs a Bible? They have some at the back. They'll bring right to you. Just raise your hand. You can get to read it yourself. In fact, if you don't have one at home, take one of these with you because we want you to have God's Word coming right up the center aisle. Just raise your hand if you want a Bible. Anybody right here? Okay, good. So if you crack it open right in the middle, you'll find Psalms and then uh, find your way to Psalm 121. We're in this fun series of Psalms that are called the Ascent Psalms, the travel songs of pilgrims as they went to meet with God. So I wanted to read Psalm 121 just kind of all the way through. It goes like this. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. Now let me interrupt it for a minute. All the yous and yours from here forward all the way down for the first three through eight are all singular. They're not plural. They're singular. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Okay, let's do a small survey. Who here likes to travel? Who here says, I only do it when I have to? <laughs> okay, who's good company when they travel? Yeah, I hope so, I hope so. Okay, because for many people, traveling is pleasurable and it's a rewarding experience that's filled with adventures and sights to behold and togetherness and uncalculated challenges or mishaps that make lasting memories. Last trip we took to Turkey, only twice this happened, but just before we went through customs, somebody said, I can't find my passport. Yeah, that's kind of challenging. You know, we're trying to get out of an airport. Um, but anyway, so let's go traveling. You know, the idea, does that fill you with anxiety or anticipation? Anxiety or anticipation? Because we kind of have that in the psalm. I didn't know which way the guy's going. I look, I lift my eyes to the hills. Is he anxious or is he anticipating what's, what, what's coming? You know, if, if you've ever been on a boat and you felt seasick or in a car and you got car sick, what do they tell you? Look out, look at the horizon, look at the hills. Look far beyond your immediate surroundings, beyond what is rolling and pitching with you. Lift your eyes, lift your thoughts um, to the hills uh, on the horizon. In fact, one of my dad's famous quotes, which he said to his kids over his shoulder in our Falcon Ford more times than I could count, and this was the day before electronics, and all we were doing is just reading a book, you know, in the back seat, but we are driving across Kansas, or was it Iowa, or was it Missouri, but anyway, it was one of those, you know, he said, if you just sit up and look out and see the things there are to see, people pay big money to come here and to see this. <laughs> this pilgrim said, I lift my eyes to the hills. Sometimes though, it's hard to get our eyes off ourselves, isn't it? Off our immediate circumstance, off the big stressors in our life, and to see the bigger picture of, of what's around us and what would give us encouragement and our better perspective. You ever gone backpacking? You can do this. Sometimes people go out packing just to see the view and to enjoy the vistas and, uh, you know, to see the majesty of the mountains, to hear the stream gurgling along and to feel the breeze swaying in the trees and to watch the sun climb up into the sky without watching your watch to know if it's time to eat yet. You know, you just eat when you're hungry. But instead, oftentimes hiking, you find yourself trudging along, uh, you know, the, behind, right behind somebody else's pack and there are ruts in the paths and so, uh, or roots or rocks, things that could trip you up if you're not watching, and it might be wet and slippery. Maybe the rocks are glacier polished and smooth as glass, and, and, and so, you know, 
you, you end up watching your feet. Step after step, mile after mile, you just keep your eyes on the heels of the boots of the person in front of you. Hike along, missing all the view and all the inspiration it can give. I lift my eyes to the hills, says this psalmist. And when you finally take a break and look up, you see the gorgeous views around you. I, I got a few, um, well, I, uh, kind of a funny story. I was hiking. I was up at Bowler Campground. And uh, it's at about 6,600 feet, I think. And we we're going to go just a three-mile hike, but it, it goes to 9,600 feet up to a lake. And uh, I was um, there. My brother, I he had like a two-year-old. He had like a two-and-a-half-year-old. And, a year old, and uh, I was going to carry mine if they whine uh, and did. And he was going to make his walk. And so it was kind of a more painful, you know, hike. And uh, around every corner, they're going, how much farther? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And finally, in frustration, he turns around and says, come on, how far is this? Well, he happened to be standing on the spot. I could look over his shoulder and just see the lake for the very first time. So I said, well, if you just turn around real slowly, he's going, yeah, right. I said, it's right there. <laughs> and we were right on the spot. And it was great. So, you know, the pilgrims going to Jerusalem had some of the same kind of experience because you'd come the last 17 miles for most people was from Jericho down by the Dead Sea up to Jerusalem, 17 windy miles through the mountains, each twist and turn. I'm sure the kids were wondering, are we there yet? How many more miles is it there yet? And it was always just around the next corner. But finally, you'd come around that corner where you could see the top of the temple gleaming in the sun. You could see, then see the city walls. You might even be able to hear across the canyon singers singing or somebody calling people to prayer the anticipation we're going to be with old friends we're going to be you know wonder what delectable things we'll find to eat in the city this time we're going to worship god together we're going to sing i lift my eyes to the hills in anticipation well i have a little quiz for you here some pictures i wanted to see how many of these you would know so go ahead and show the first picture what mountain is this oh good who got it who got it one point all right second one Okay. Mount Whitney. Okay, who got that one? Okay, I okay, got that one. All right. And the third one? Half Dome. All right, who got that? Come on, now. if you didn't get that, we better have your eyes checked. Okay, and, and then El Capitan also in Yosemite. And then, okay, last one. Ready? It's the Matterhorn in Disneyland, of course, but, you know. <laughs> I just wanted to get one close to home for you just in case you needed it. Oh, you know, the mountains. I lift my eyes to the hills. But, you know, sometimes maybe this means they're not in anticipation. Maybe it's because they're anxious. I mean, when you're traveling, there's a lot to be anxious about, especially if you're prone to worry at all. I can remember we were getting on our very first airplane ride ever. I was seven, and my sister was nine. It was a KLM flight from Kennedy International in New York to Lagos, Nigeria. And she says uh, to my mom in fear, what if this plane crashes when we're over the ocean? And my mom said, oh, honey, KLM has, hasn't had an accident in a long time. My sister said, well, then they're probably due. She really should have saved all her worry fear for our second flight, which was on Nigerian Airways. Because <laughs> then we really were in danger. Uh, I lift up my eyes to the hills. I mean, he's, where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord. The Lord is the one who gives us protection. It's not as worrisome for us anymore. You get in your car, you drive day or night, it doesn't matter. You can lock the doors, you go fast, you feel safe. But in this day where pilgrims were on foot, there were plenty of things that 
could go wrong. Plenty of people who were, you know, thugs that were looking to take advantage of people. In fact, Jesus told a story of a man who was traveling from Jerusalem the 17 miles down to Jericho who fell among thieves. And nobody, when they heard that story, nobody said, oh, that would never happen. Not around here. No, they knew. So they would travel in groups. There was safety in numbers. There was encouragement. They wouldn't have the anxiety of the lonely pilgrim saying, what if I twist my ankle? What if I fall? What if I have a problem? What if I don't reach my destination? Because they needed each other, and we really need each other. That's the whole point of having the small groups. If you get together with other people and encourage your faith and to talk with one another and to encourage each other in your walk with Jesus, to be pilgrims together. So I hope you do better signing up, by the way, to be groups than you did to my request to come sit up close. Okay, so I will lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? Does our help or strength come from the mountains? Does it come from nature? Well, we can be inspired looking at nature and at beauty and the majesty and the intricate detail. It's curious to me that it doesn't lead more people to say, i got to learn more about the Creator. Because his creation is phenomenal. It's fantastic. The Bible tells us, Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The earth is supporting more life right now than it ever has. And so it's good to practice conservation and not to waste and uh, preserving all you can. Those are all good ideas, but we don't worship the earth. This whole Mother Earth thing is really headed in the wrong direction. I mean, the creation can never replace the creator. So where do people look for help? Where do they look for truth? Where do they look for that feeling, I'm going to be okay? Well, can you Google it? Or how far will your good looks take you? Or maybe you just look the part. You look confident so nobody asks too many questions. Or maybe you're relying on your education and your knowledge to get you through. Or your financial stability and security. Or your self-help. You are the answer. Well, these things work, you know, until they don't. And they usually stop working right when you need them the most, when you start to rely on them, when you need them some support. That's why the Lord is there, and he offers himself to us. Say, I'm in charge. Let me be in charge and just follow me. That's what it means to be a fully devoted follower. Some of these pilgrims were bound to be traveling with a certain anxiety of what would be on the mountains. 2,500 years ago, during the time this song was composed and sung by the people of God on their way to Jerusalem, on the lot, uh, lots of the tops of lots of hills, there were designated places for idol worship. Pagan worship was rampant. They'd come in and built shrines to Baal, which is the god of fertility, and other gods of wood and stone. And they'd all been set up on top of the hilltops. And part of the worship uh, to these gods included uh, using male and female prostitutes, supposedly to help the land to be more fertile and to protect you from evil. And this wasn't God's way. And the people knew it wasn't God's way, but the pull of the world and the flesh and the devil was oh so strong even then. And God's people even then had to choose, am I going to go the way of the world, the way that everybody's going, or am I going to go the way of righteousness and follow God and be a fully devoted follower to Him? In fact, in 1 Kings 16, when the evil practices were in full swing, the wicked king Ahab married a, a Sidonian princess named Jezebel because he wanted to strengthen alliance with his neighbors. And uh, she came and she brought evil worship practices with her. 
And she cut off the prophets of the Lord. And in fact, she even killed many of them. She was silencing their godly voices. And she instituted worship to Baal, their fertility god. And King Ahab went right along with it, even though he knew better. He didn't want to rock the boat. And God's watching. And in 1 Kings 16, at the end, it lists a lot of the things that he did. And then it summarizes, Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all the kings who had gone before him. And God's patience grew thin, and God intervened. Because God is watching. He's always watching, and he's patient, but he doesn't wait forever. And he sent the prophet Elijah, and in 1 Kings 17, it says, Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe and Gilead said to King Ahab, As the Lord of God of Israel lives, why do, you, I mean, why do we forget that? Why don't we factor it in that God is alive, that God is watching, that he's patient, but he's not going to wait forever? And... He's aware. He says, as the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there will be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And then the word of the Lord came to him quickly. It said, get out of there. <laughs> Depart from here. Turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. Baal was their God of fertility. Rain made the ground fertile. So there's no rain, there's no power in your God. If you have no rain for a whole year, we've had a drought in California. It causes people to conserve. It causes angst. It causes what's going to happen. It causes some businesses to hurt, some to go out of business. After two years, there would have been hunger and recession and poverty and crisis. After three years, there would be starvation and desperation. After three and a half years, God said to Elijah, go show back up. People were on their knees or they had died. They didn't know what to do. And he comes to King Ahab, and they basically are accusing each other. It's your fault. It's your fault. But the big question is, who is God? Is it Yahweh or is it Baal? And they agreed to a contest to determine which God has the power. They would go to the top of Mount Carmel, and they would have build two altars, and one would be for Baal, and one would be to the one true God. And whichever God could bring fire from heaven would be the true God. Everybody agreed. So Elijah's by the prophet of by the the altar for God. And the prophets of Baal, there's 400 of them gathered around the altar for Baal, and all the people gathered around. And Baal's team starts. Now, who would you vote for? This one has 400 on its team. This one's got one. This one has Baal, and this one has Yahweh. And, of course, if you thought about it, which they didn't very long, Yahweh is the God who had the power to start and to stop the rain. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? Does our help come from nature? No. Does it come from idol worship? No. Do we need help? Yes. Sometimes more than others. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Our help comes not from the creation. It comes from the creator. Look beyond the top of the hill. Look to the Lord. Look to the hills for help will only end in disappointment. Look to the Lord who made the mountains. Now, the world we live in has tried to avoid God, tried to pretend that the world had no creator, that it just happened by chance, which I think takes an awful lot more faith than just believing in God as creator. This psalm affirms that God is the creator of heaven and earth. And yet we live among a people who would rather worship the creation or some other idol. Oh, we're more sophisticated than worshiping idols of wood and of stone. But we still give our affections. We still give our love. We still give our sacrifice, our loyalty, our trust to things that cannot save us in the end. Don't follow the crowd. 
just because it's popular or just because it's loud or just because everybody's doing it. Find the truth. Give yourself fully in that direction. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? We need help, and it doesn't come from nature, and it doesn't come from the world. Where is man's help, his real help? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. This word help in verse 2, easier in Hebrew, pertains to protection, guidance, and blessing. If you're taking notes, write those three words down. Protection, guidance, and blessing. I pray for those. I pray for those for me. I pray for those for my family. I pray for us as our church. That God would give us his protection, that his hands of protection would be around us, that he would give us guidance so we would know where we're going and how do we get there, and that we would have his blessing along the way. Protection, guidance, and blessing. Only God can give those to you. Help doesn't come from the creation. It comes from the creator. And God is the creator, but this goes way beyond evolution, uh, uh, you know, creation debate. This is a, a, a statement on Yahweh's sovereignty over all the realms of heaven and earth. And so it's excluding the claims of any pagan deities like Baal. You can't have both. You can only have one God in your life. Pick which one. In fact, that's what Elijah said to the people on that day as the prophets of Baal are getting started. He looked at the people and he said to them, how long will you go limping between two differing opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. Why try to ride in the middle of the road? Why try to be on both sides of the fence? Why try to look like the world when we're around the world and then look like God's people when we're with God's people? Pick which one is right and go that direction, he said. And the sole source of help comes from Yahweh, who's creator, and he has unlimited power. And the rest of the psalm sings his praises. Look at verse 3. He'll not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Now, this foot be moved is, is not talking about, well, you won't trip or you won't have problems. Yes, you're going to have some of that. He's saying, I'm going to keep your feet on my path. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. God's protection is individualized just for you. God keeps. He's the protector of the pilgrim. He's not caught napping. In fact, when the prophets of Baal are doing their thing and they're chanting and they're moving around and they're, some of them even taking knives and gashing themselves so that their God would see how serious they were and what a sacrifice they were making, he was supposed to light the sacrifice on fire, except he didn't have the power because he's made out of a rock and he couldn't answer. So Elijah is even taunting them in, in 1 Kings. He's standing there, and while nothing is working, he's at noon, they've been at it all morning, Elijah mocked them, saying, cry louder, for, for he's a god, right? Either he's musing or he's relieving himself. You know, he's in the bathroom, or, or he's on a journey, or maybe he's asleep. You've got to wake him up. Can you imagine having to wake your god up? Our god doesn't get tired. We're not like that, but he is. I mean, you don't have to wake him. You don't have to jump up and down to get his attention. You don't need to make a fuss. He's got his eye on you. Let me tell you something. You are his favorite. He loves you more than anything. 
See, I mean, this is the doctrine of God we see right here. God's our guardian. God protects. God guides. He blesses his own. He doesn't eat. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't play. He doesn't get distracted. He's always there to help. Even says it in Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He, God never sleeps. He doesn't slumber. He's always watchful. The pilgrims working from coming up from Galilee, 70 miles, would have to stop and stay overnight and sleep and rest. God never rested. He never sleeps. He never doesn't get tired. He's never off duty. God's got you centered. He wants you grounded and unmoved. And that's what this psalm is saying. It's not saying that you won't ever trip or have setbacks or disappointments or illnesses or accidents or mean things said about you or done to you. It's saying that if you continue to look to God, he's got a path for your life. And if you just keep looking to him, at the end of your life, you will have accomplished your purpose. You will have walked the whole path. He will even take you setbacks in the things that you and I would not choose and not, not expect to happen to us. And he will work it for his good. That's what he promises. Romans 8, 28. I mean, look at this psalm tells us about our God. God is not ignoring you or your cries for help. He protects his own all day long. He's, they're at his right hand. Look at verse 5. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. I mean, only God can give us true relief when life bears down on us. Psalm 8.4 says, What is man, O Lord, that you are mindful of him? I mean, it's incredible but that the God who created the world and has a universe to run has his eye on you. Now, this idea of your shade, is not, it's a lot stronger than we give it credit for. Kings were spoken of as the shade or the shadow or the protector of those who were dependent on them for protection. The Lord is the protective shade of his people. On a very hot day, if you walk under the shade of a tree, even in the desert, you, re you receive some relief, some protection. Psalm 91.1 says, He who dwells in the shelter or in the shade of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, Isaiah 25, for you have been a stronghold to the poor, a stronghold to the needy in his distress, a shelter from the storm, and a shade from the heat. That's God's protection that we're talking about here. Isaiah 51, 16, God said, I have put my words in your mouth, and I've covered you in the shadow of my hand. Verse 6, the sun will not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The sun and moon, the heat of the sun, uh, the, the fear uh, that you'd have if there's only moonlight or the shivers of the night, uh, the, all these all figure for the distresses and the, the things that would threaten us day or night. I mean, we like to think of ourselves as secure and of taking care of ourselves. We work hard to be safe and to think smart. And, and it's good, but it only goes so far. In fact, Helen Keller, who was... Deaf and blind said, security is mostly a superstition. It does not exist in nature, nor do the children of men as a whole experience it. Avoiding danger is no safer in the long run than outright exposure. Life is either a daring adventure or nothing. See, only God can truly protect us from harm. It's like the young dad running alongside the bike of his preschooler that's just learning to ride a two-wheel bike, and they're kind of wobbly, but the dad's hanging onto the seat. And as they're running along, he's going, come on, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. And then at some point, you know, his hand isn't there, but he's still running alongside. So the rider keeps riding. We're talking about this story when the pastors, we get together every week 
on Tuesday, you can pray for us about 10 o'clock. And we talk about, okay, who's going to be preaching? What are they going to be preaching on? And we all give ideas. And when this one was mentioned, Pastor Derek said, oh, he says, I've got some advice for you then if you're going to try that trick. Because he has, you know, four kids under six. I said, yeah, what did you learn? He said, don't do the first ride on a dirt road. I said, really? What happened? He says, well, just about the time I let go and he's going along, he hit a patch of sand and the handlebar twisted sideways and then they crashed and burned into a pile and he looked back at me like, Dad, what happened? You let me down. He said, and he wouldn't get back on the bike the whole rest of the day. I trusted you, Dad. Well, I know people who have that feeling about God. Maybe it's been you at some point, and maybe you don't want to admit it, you know, because we're here in church. You don't have to tell anybody out loud, but you've had a, God's let you down, or you've had a crash and burn experience, and where was God? And you've been disappointed or angry or heartbroken, and you just kind of have that, and you're kind of stuck on that. Well, let me address it. God has your best interest at heart always. He always does. He loves you more than you love yourself. And there are times where pain is unavoidable. I can remember being in the doctor's office with a son who had broken an arm. It was going like this. They could have left it that way to avoid any more pain, but they didn't. They gave him painkillers, which didn't kill everything. Then they grabbed his hand and they yanked it. He yelled out in pain because it had to be straightened if it was going to grow back to being right. They didn't get it right on the first yank. They had to tug again. You could feel the pain. I can tell some of you have been in the doctor's office, huh? And you, you've tried this. Don't try it at home. Sometimes those pains come our way because it's unavoidable. But God has a big heart, and he's got strong shoulders. You can cry on his shoulder. You can complain if you want. You can get angry with him if you want to. You can have a hissy fit. He'll still be there loving you because he loves you. And you'd be best off really to suspend judgment until you know the whole story. Because what you look at as a huge disappointment might just turn out to be one of the greatest blessings of your life. And God has a plan, and you don't know the whole plan. So just trust him. Just wait. It says in verse 7, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. He's going to keep all of you. I mean, only God can keep us protected from evil. We live in a world that has evil all around us. How do you live in a world that's evil and, and not become evil? Well, Eugene Peterson was writing on this topic, and I wanted to quote him. He said, all the water in the oceans, in all the oceans, cannot sink a ship unless it gets inside. In other words, all the water in the ocean can't sink the ship unless the water gets inside. Some of the water gets inside the ship, nor can all the troubles in the world harm us unless it gets within us. That's the promise of this psalm. God guards us from evil. Jesus said, be in the world, but not of the world. And greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. And so we live not a cushioned life, but a well-armed life. I mean, Jesus was talking with his followers about this shortly before he left the earth. And he said to them, you will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you will be put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. You and I don't realize as often as we should that our truest life, we will be most alive when we step into the presence of Jesus in heaven to live forever. And people who have troubles here and even lose their lives here if they have loved the Lord 
are stepping from here into the presence of the Lord to live forever. And this psalm promises that those who put their trust in God, people that we have called fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, get help from on high. God steadies their feet on the path through life. God shades them with his hand, protecting them. Nothing happens to those believers that didn't come through the hands of God. You know, some of them may be things you wouldn't have chosen for yourself. But God has your best interest in heart. So just keep loving him and choose to follow him in all things and recognize that he has your final home waiting for us in heaven. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. He's concluding by telling us that God cares about your everything, your travels and your travails, your ventures, your adventures, your misadventures from your beginning to end. God's ongoing protection is in this life and in the one to come. Last week, Pastor Micah was on Psalm 126, and it ends like this. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, will come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. This person goes out, he's got the little seed, he can eat it or sow it. If he sows it, he goes hungry today. If he eats it, he goes hungry all next year. And he doesn't know it. There's no guarantee. But what he realizes later is God was with me at the beginning. He's with me on the journey through. And he's got you covered right now. And God will be there at the end of your pilgrimage. And he invites you into his home to live there forever. God is sovereign in all the affairs of life. Especially those in his children. He's watching. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our lord jesus he who calls you is faithful he will surely do it god watches over our affairs he doesn't get tired he doesn't get tired of you I heard about a couple they had been married 50 years and they're having a party at their church for them, and they have them sitting up in front of everybody. And, you know, their hearing isn't what it was. And she leans over and says something. He kind of rears back, and he says, well, I'm kind of tired of you too. And she said, no, no, no. I said, I'm so proud of you. God doesn't get tired of you. Just trust him. Five times in this psalm it says, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord watches over us. He keeps us. He loves you. Fully devote yourself to him. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it this way. It will always be true that the wisest course for the disciple is always to abide solely by the word of God in all its simplicity. You and I can come to God's word and we can read it. And then we have to decide, do I trust that? Do I believe it? Am I going to do what it's telling me to do? Or am I going to say, hey, that's a nice idea. Just trust God. Can you trust him? I mean, if you trust him, then start traveling together through life. I mean, take the first step, guaranteed. It, it will be the journey of a lifetime. And the best way to travel is to travel with the Lord and to travel with friends and to travel with God because God protects you from your enemies and from the elements and from the evil in the world around us. He's got it all covered. So being a fully devoted follower of Jesus doesn't mean you're going to have a trouble-free journey through this world. It means you have Jesus with you in the troubles to lead and to guide and to shelter and to protect and to save and to bless and to bring us to heaven. Amen. Shall we pray? Dear Jesus, I pray that each of us here will just trust you. 
We'll put you first and foremost in our hearts and in our homes and in our lives and in our decision-making and in our conversations that uh, we will realize that our help comes only from the Lord and we will trust you in everything. Amen.